functional wisdom, the doctrine of happiness. The man of sorrow as we known him to be, Jesus. He is known as the man of sorrow. He lived for 33 years and in the last three years of his ministry, went about and preached the kingdom of God and then he went to the cross. And so we put a label on him as a man of sorrow. But if you read the gospel, you find that Jesus spoke about happiness. John chapter 13, verse 13. After he washed the disciples' feet, he said, did you know what, what did I just do? And this is what he said, you call me master and Lord, and you say it well, for so I am. If then I be your Lord and master have washed your feet, you also should, ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example. Now I want you to focus on what it says right here. I have given you an example. Everything that you see happening in the church should be set as an example. The worship this morning, I did it as an example, as a way of showing you the capacity of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Everything the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, were an example for us. When you come into an experience with God, it is not just to enjoy, although that is something that we take out of it, but when the disciples look at Jesus washing the disciples' feet, this is what he said. Did you see that? Did you know what I've done? You might have a lot of questions, but Jesus says, put all those aside. This is the thing that you should think about. All those things that I've done was for you to learn from. An example. Jesus did everything. As such, everything we do will be an example for other people. <coughs> when you have a responsibility, when you have a job to do, people will look at you whether or not they see you an example, but your work and your passion, when I say passion, is your zeal. You are engaging in something deliberately, not moved by your passion. <clears throat> Everything that you do with or without passion, with or without preparation, is an example. If you do a job haphazardly, People will look at it and said, yeah, that's okay. I can do that haphazardly because I've seen other people in leadership have done it that way. Or you do something like Jesus has done and the disciple have done, had done in the past as an example and their zeal and their uh, pursuit of Christ should set an example for us. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Example, that you should do as I have done to you. And then in verse 16, verily, verily, or in other words saying, truly, truly, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, verse 17, our key words today, if you know these things, Here's the part where happiness comes in. He says, happy are you if you do them. 
between knowledge and action. Jesus says, you are my disciples. You saw everything that I have done. But all those things benefit you not unless you do them. That is my message today. The doctrine of happiness is the knowledge, understanding, what you have learned, translate to what you actually do. <coughs> Wisdom without action is worthless. If you have seen Jesus done something, it should translate to something that you do. If you never wash someone else's feet, then his example for you means nothing. The doctrine of happiness is doing what you have learned from Christ. The doctrine of happiness is doing what you have learned from Christ. That's it. That is the definition of the doctrine of happiness, is action. We pursue happiness. Difficulty with this is that we all know one day we all die, and where does our happiness go? Nowhere. It will die with us. For what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Our inability to keep our own lives, let alone can you keep your soul? You can't even keep yourself alive. How can you keep your soul? And then if you're not alive, then where your happiness will be? And you said, well, I enjoy as long as I live. What happened after you stopped living? If happiness is what Jesus is talking about here is true, then it should persist after you die, shouldn't it? Otherwise, he shouldn't be talking about happiness. But everything that Jesus talked about and spoke about is eternal. Everything that Jesus did is eternal. Everything that he did and everything that he spoke about is for all of eternity. Because Jesus is God. And therefore, the essence of God is in Christ. And therefore, everything that Jesus did is eternal. So when he spoke about happiness here, he talked about the eternal happiness that you and I, we can have here on earth. If you recall that conversation that Jesus talked to Martha, and she said, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would have not died. <laughs> Nevertheless, I know that you can ask the Father for anything and he would do it on your behalf. And then, do you remember what Jesus' response to Martha was? Do you believe this? And Martha responds to Jesus, I believe that you are the Christ. What she is confessing is that the resurrection that is in Christ is not just for Lazarus be alive here because she said, my brother will live in the last day. Everything that Jesus did to Lazarus, as an example for us to learn from, was not just to raise him from the dead, from the grave, but also to give him eternal life. Everything that Jesus did was eternal. If you cannot keep your life, 
if you can't sustain your life, then men try to do this right? with cryogenic and with trying to freeze yourself until the time when science is able to resurrect you or science is able to give you immortality. It's not going to happen. If you can't keep your own life, how can you keep your soul? And Jesus says, you can't. If God requires your soul this night, there's nothing you can do about it. And if God requires your soul tonight, your body is going to die. So your soul actually controls the, your state of being. Man cannot keep his life, let alone knows how to preserve his soul. This leaves the happiest person bewildered when faced with the fact that he will die. So happiness dies. The happiness that the world knows will die when we die. How should we live? The wisest person said this, let me read it to you. And I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceived that this also is vexation of spirit, troubles the spirit. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. You know what Solomon is saying? A wise person think about happiness and think about the end where he dies. All he can think of is, it's so sad. All of that pursuit end up nothing. You know why Solomon said that? He never met Jesus Christ. He knew that everything that he pursued in life, all the riches that he has, I'm going to leave all this rich to my progeny, my son. I don't know if he's a good person. That's terrible. That's a vexation of spirit. That's sad. The root of misery. What is it? Ignorance is bliss. That is until you fall off the cliff. It's death. It's not bliss. When knowledge is increased, you will understand the depth of your misery and sorrow, just like Solomon. The more you know, the more you see everything is vanity. Bad decisions, foolishness, hubris, are the cause of horrifying choices. We make really, really bad choices when we think we're all that. The lack of understanding had led many people to commit terrible, abysmal decisions. Have you heard of the RMS Titanic? 1,500 people die. They had 16 lifeboats. Hubris. They thought that unsinkable. You know what caused the Titanic to sink? An iceberg. Just an iceberg. What's an iceberg compared to this colossal of human engineering? It's unsinkable. He oversteered. And he didn't correct it. So he hit an iceberg and it broke the Titanic in half and killed 1,500 people. Hubris, bad decisions, 16 lifeboats. It was for decorations. The lifeboats were for decorations. They were never trained to use the lifeboats. When we think that we have all the understanding and we think we're all smart, we make really, really bad decisions. Don't do it. Bad decisions will leave you in misery. The root cause of bad decisions 
is the failure to learn. You are sitting here, you're sitting in your classroom, you're sitting everywhere. There's an opportunity for you to learn. But how many of us actually engage our mind and engage our lives into learning? There are so many resources. Recently, I started to read the history of Christian doctrine. I was appalled by my lack of understanding of where I came from. And I had to stop reading because I felt so bad. All these years, I thought I knew. Hubris. A lot of people think that they know who Jesus is. And we believe and are sure, this is Peter's talking, we believe and are sure, you believe, you're sure, aren't you? That thou art the Christ. That means something, doesn't it? If I ask you today, and I, I'm sure most of you will say, I'm sure that Jesus is the Christ. But that knowledge, that understanding, how does it translate to happiness? How does the knowledge of Christ, who is Jesus, who was Jesus, translate to your happiness? We can't make that correlation, can we? What's lacking? And Jesus responds to them and said, Have I not chosen you twelve, talking specifically about the disciples, and one of you has the devil? Knowledge of Christ does not translate to not having the devil. We can know Jesus, we can confess Jesus, but lacking this one central ingredient still leaves us in the bosom of the devil. Bad decisions. And when the devil is in you, you make horrible, terrifying decisions. Judas, the decision he made, Selling Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. You're sitting there and you go, ha, you know what? I never do that. That's a terrible decision. Oh, we make worse decisions than Judas Iscariot. Because the knowledge of Jesus Christ does not automatically translate to having good decisions. Secondly, being late in life translates to misery. What I mean is, yes, being late. And yes, it's procrastination is the mother of all sin. Procrastination, knowing what you should do, but not doing it, leads to misery. Peter says this, I'd rather that you don't know than having known and not make the right decision. Misery comes when you know what should be done, but you don't have the motivation or desire to execute it until the opportunity has passed. I'm sure intelligent being here would love to have a time machine, either to go back into the past or go into the future. Because with foreknowledge, we can do amazing things. If I can go into the future and know exactly what the stock market would do, isn't that great? How many of us know already what the future holds for us and we refuse to do anything about it? You don't need a time machine. You know how your life's gonna turn out. But if you don't do anything about it, if you don't, you can't get up. Have you heard of the five second rules? Five, four, three, two, one. Think about two things. Number one, 
How does this decision will affect my life in my future? Think about those two things. When the alarm rings, instead of turning over and hits the snooze button, you start counting from five, four, three, two, one. Ask yourself those two questions. Engage your prefrontal cortex so that you begin to have logical decisions rather than having your limbic system takes over and you do what your feeling is dictating. Then you will get up, 10 push-up, reading the Bible. That's what I do. Procrastination causes you to lose out on the opportunities that are in front of you. And when you look back, you'll be miserable because you knew what would happen if you sleep for a little bit more. You knew what would happen. You'd be late. And you're late for one thing that leads to another. In the end, you look back at your life and you say, I wish that I have done something differently. Jesus never procrastinated. Afterwards came also the other virgins saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. They have prepared. They got their lamps with them. They were with the, the other five wise virgins. You follow Christ all this time, and in the end, you're late. Doors closed. You can't get in. And verily I send to you, I know you not. The only difference between the five wise virgin and the five foolish virgin is that when the door was open, the ones that were ready got in, and the one that wasn't ready, because I don't know what they do with their time, at the end, trying to get more oil, getting light, and when they came back, it was too late. Tardiness, procrastination. In the American Revolution, there's a colonel. He's the commander of the British <clears throat> troops at Trenton, New Jersey. He was playing cards, and there was a message that came. The messenger gave him the message. He took the message, he put it in his pocket, finished playing the game. And then when he took the message out and he read the message, and the message says, there is this general from the Americans. His name is George Washington. He just crossed the river Delaware. And he realized, uh-oh, no good. I shouldn't have kept on playing. I should have gotten up. He lost so many men, and his whole battalion was captured by George Washington. Someone's procrastination. I'm just going to sit there and finish my card game. Don't procrastinate. If you know something, that is the indication that you should do something about it, because that is knowing the future and not doing something about it. That will leave you when you look back at your life, and you will be miserable, because you, sh you could have done something else. Knowing Christ and not prepare and come to the door when it's already shut and you've prepared your whole life. You just procrastinate it. And lastly, <clears throat> regret is the mother of all misery. Nothing is more bitter and wishing that you could have done differently than regret. Peter remembered the words of Jesus which said unto him, Before the cock crow, you shall deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Jesus spoke this to him. <coughs> Jesus told him already, You are going to do this. Now, whether or not Peter has any ability to change what Jesus spoke, he knew. 
and regrets make him bitter. And here is the consequence of regrets. We are all the product of our own procrastination, our lateness, our bad decisions, and that leads us into regrets. What should we do? The Apostle Paul says that you have two choices. Number one, he said, For godly sorrow works repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the, the sorrow of the world leads to death. There are two kinds of sorrow. The sorrowness that comes when Peter experienced sorrow after he denied Christ leads him to repentance. He wept bitterly, but didn't go hang himself like Judas Iscariot. He wept bitterly and then changed his life. Where Judas, he threw the money back and he went hang himself. Two very different outcomes for regrets. If you follow with me to the path of salvation like Peter, you flipped on to the other side, or if you want to follow the path of Judas, you can just go to sleep right now. Flip back, let me talk about death a little bit. It's kind of depressing, but we have to talk about death. The reason, one of the main reasons why we are not happy is that we feel and we sense and we know that we are completely and utterly useless. The worst thing you can tell your kid, your friend, anyone, is you're useless. That's so demotivating for anyone to hear that will leave them not want to do anything. When I hear parents telling their kids you're useless, I cringe. We should never do that. Because the feeling of uselessness gives you no hope to live. There's no reason why you should exist. Jesus talked about this. He said that you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing. That is another way of saying uselessness. But to be cast out and be trodden under foot of men. Uselessness is the end result of unhappiness or sorrow. So when you feel like there's no more use for you in life, this is what people do. They commit suicide. Or they engage themselves into drugs, things that cause them to forget life because they don't see their role. Some of us think, I have a use in life. I raise my kids. Let me ask you, what will your kids do? They raise their kids. What their kids do? They raise their kids. Logically, I don't see the usefulness in that, except for taking up more space. We have seven billion people already. What is your use? What is your purpose? What is the thing that makes you useful in this life? Turn over. Not, not yourself, but the pa paper. Let's talk about happiness. Subject of sorrow is, is depressing. Now, the term that Jesus used here in verse 17, if ye know these things, happy, the word happy are ye here. The word happy here is translated from the Greek word makarios, supremely blessed. The word happy without God, there is no such word because happiness means to be blessed. 
To be blessed means to have something externally endowed to you. And only God can endow to us blessing. We cannot bless ourselves. Despite what you think when you sneeze and someone would say, bless you, you should ask, who are you to bless me? You have no authority to. There's nothing from you that is able to bless me. You should say, God bless you. Then, then it makes sense. Because I can't bless anybody. Only God can bless. So happiness, the root definition of happiness is the blessing of God on us. Only God can bless us. One of the most famous sermon that people know about Jesus is the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitude. And the word Beatitude means blessed. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry. You can substitute the word blessed with happy are you. One of the most famous messages that Jesus delivered was on happiness, on the blessedness of knowing God, of being in His favor. Jesus talked a lot about happiness. And there is actually, it is the reason why we're here. The good news, the gospel is also called the good news. The good news is when we tell people that their lives and their existence has value. They mean something in life. And God gives the definition to that meaning that we have. And that's what it means to be blessed. To be blessed is when God used you. The knowledge of God is the beginning, but the actual action or the deeds that's done through the, your obedience in Christ is what it means to be blessed, to be happy. Happiness is eternal life. And some of you might be sitting there and think, I, I don't see how happiness is eternal life. How is happiness eternal life? My life right now sucks. What way I want to live forever? That's perpetuating the grossness of my existence. Sounds terrible. Happiness is eternal life. Eternal life does not mean to live forever. I hope that this is not the first time you hear this. Eternal life does not mean living forever. The doctrine of eternal life does not mean to live forever because we all die. Jesus says, you will have eternal life. So eternal life does not mean living forever. Simple logic. So what is eternal life then? This is eternal life. That they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. John chapter 17, verse 3. Jesus gave us the definition of what eternal life is. That's happiness. Eternal life is the knowledge of God and His Christ. That is eternal life. Mind blown? Thank you. Me too, when I heard this. Eternal life is not living forever. It is knowing God and knowing Jesus Christ. That is eternal life. The beginning of happiness is knowing God and knowing Christ. And I say, the beginning. I'm not rewriting the Bible. I'm just expounding on what Jesus is saying here. Eternal life begins with knowing God and knowing Christ. Then, the fulfillment of happiness, how to realize that happiness, knowing happiness and having happiness are two completely different things. You can look at someone and say, wow, that person is happy. 
But you're not happy. The fulfillment, having happiness in your life requires this next step. And that is the deed, not just the knowledge. So knowledge or knowledge without work is not wisdom. It is only wisdom when you don't drink the poison after you read the label. Knowing how to read the label and still drink the poison is foolishness, or another way put it, is just stupid. Knowledge, knowing where happiness is, and not having the desire to fulfill what is said because you procrastinate or because you don't have the zeal, you don't have the motivation to do it, will lead to despair. The fulfillment of happiness is the way in which we imitate Jesus Christ. Your deed will lead you to experience happiness. Otherwise, you only know happiness. Happiness comes when you experience eternal life, but happiness spreads when this life flows through you because I said earlier, everything that Jesus did is eternal. And so when he lived through you and I, his eternal life flowed through us and into the people around us. The work that we do in transmitting this eternal life gives us joy. God is simple. Let me explain the word simple. Has not many parts. Like an atom is simple because it's one thing. Happiness is simple in the sense that it doesn't have many parts. Eternal life comes from God through Christ to you, through you, experiencing joy. That's happiness. But you need to do something. You need to open yourself up so that the life giving force from the Holy Spirit can flow through you into other people. If you have never experienced happiness, it means that you have never experienced the life of Jesus Christ flow through you into another person and cause them to experience this eternal life. That is something that cannot be taken away from you. That is the joy that is eternal. A life, meaning, and consequently, a happiness dependent on holy, on the deeds that's done in Christ Jesus. Everything that's done in Christ, knowing that you are loved, extremely blessed. First of all, knowing your life has meaning. Happiness comes when you know that your existence has meaning and purpose. If you don't see that your life has meaning and purpose, you don't want to live. But knowing that your life has purpose and meaning, you want to live. And here is the definition of having meaning, have a life that's meaning. But he that does truth comes into the light that his deeds are may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. You believe in God. God says, here's life. I'm going to work life through you. And after my life has been worked through you, you will see this life spread to other people. When this work spread to other people, you know that that work actually came from God. That means that without you, without your existence and God using you or usage of you, that blessing did not come through you. That you were not used by God. Meaning that you have no meaning. Your life 
only has meaning when the eternal God uses you. Because we all die. But when God uses you, then your life has meaning because God is eternal. And the work that you do does not die when your body dies. Your work is now part and parcel of the eternal kingdom. Think about that. Everything that I do today and the reason why I'm doing this today is because the work that I do today is eternal. What do we do today? What do you do today? The work that you do, what part of it is eternal? Is my coding eternal? Maybe if it serves the purpose of bringing God's glory into existence through me. If it's not, is your playing game eternal? You've got to ask yourself these questions because your life has meaning or not dependent on whether or not the eternity of God is working through us. And that is why and how we become happy. I'm happy doing the work here because I know this work is eternal. The work that we are doing here in this church together is eternal. And that brings me happiness because when I die, this work is already engraved, carved, inscribed in the kingdom of God. That is joy. That is happiness. Deeds are done in Christ Jesus. Okay. Deeds are done in Christ through the Holy Spirit. Secondly, let's move to the left because I like going counterclockwise. Love, knowing that you are loved. We have hope because we know someone cares and loves us. If you know everyone hates you, you don't want to live. No one cares. But just one person loves you just one person loves you, then you are willing to get up and do something with your life. But if you know no one cares, no one loves you, you might as well just stay in bed and die. The love that we know and sense propels us to do something with our lives because we know that we are cared for and cherished. In Christ, we are drawn to His eternal family through the will of God the Father. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father in heaven. Now, note what Jesus keeps saying here. Whosoever not know my Father in heaven, whosoever will recognize my Father in heaven. He did not say that. He said this, whosoever shall do the will of my Father in heaven. Work, deeds. Whoever do the will of my father in heaven and he said the same is my brother my sister my mother my aunt died yesterday and um, I knew her when uh, I was a little kid uh, we used to uh, get sent to um, uh, to live with her pass away <clears throat> Yesterday, as I was standing in that room, I saw my nephew, my cousin, my aunts and uncles. They're like strangers. Like I don't know them. It's a hard feeling to 
I, I can fake it. I can kind of delude myself uh, or, or fake myself into thinking, yeah, I love my family. I know them. But I don't know them. I really don't know them. And I looked over and I see uh, some of them trying to engage in small talks and trying to lift themselves up by, oh, that's, you know, that's your kid. Wow, so grown. And I, I'm sitting there and I think, is this real? Or are we, are we all faking it? You guys are important to me. I know you. This is my family. I know those who I work with in the kingdom of God. Those that are outside the work of the kingdom of God, I don't know even if they're my family. I care for them, but I don't know them. This is what Jesus is talking about. When his mother and his brothers knocking at the door, we want to see Jesus. And this is his response. Whoever is doing the work of my father is my brother, my sister. Being in the family of God means to engage in the work of God. This is what binds us together and causes us to be one in God, in the family. This is what relationship means. True relationship means that we work together. You see, for those who have not gotten married, if ever you're thinking about getting married and think about the person you are with and you don't think that you'll ever work on a project in life together, you will grow apart. You will become strangers to each other. The only thing that will bind you together is that you have a common goal in a working relationship, doing something together. And the work that we do together in Christ, Jesus defined what that work is, and in all obedience to Christ, doing the same work makes us beloved in Christ. Make us a family. This is what real. It's not because we bear the same last name or because we are raised in the same family that makes us a family. You all, my family, I care about you because I work with you. This is what family is. And this is what Jesus talked about. Divine wisdom. <clears throat> when you obey Christ, he considers you wise. Wisdom or divine wisdom is the growing in knowledge of God. The minute you stop seeking and searching and growing in the wisdom and the knowledge of God, you begin to slide begin to backslide and deteriorate. The minute we stop learning because we know it all, hubris starts to take over and then we will sink. So, divine wisdom is the enthusiasm that you have about learning life. Engaging in learning. The minute you stop learning because you think you know it all is when we begin to deteriorate. Happiness is eternal life. And eternal life is living. And living is the knowledge of God. Knowing God. Getting to know God. Knowing God. And venturing into the deeper knowledge of the one who created us. And not just created us. But now he has called us to be his children. We have been transformed from a creation into his family. Jesus says, you are my brothers. You are my friend 
Eternal life is that when we know God, and this knowledge of God has to be increased. Now, dare I say, in a constant basis, that people spent their whole life trying to lay a foundation for our Christian faith, and yet I'm completely ignorant of it. We all need to learn. We need to learn starting here, but not just here in the Bible. We need to pursue the knowledge of God wherever it takes us. And that should be your goal. Let's say you're trying to solve a really difficult math problem. You spent hours and hours and hours. You didn't cheat by looking up on the internet. And finally, you arrive at solution. And then you flip to the back of your book and you check the solution. And yes, I got it. You're happy. That joy, that aha, that moment where you find everything that you worked so hard to do, it worked. It was right. It's correct. That feeling of ecstasy is happiness. It is the same thing when someone discovers God. Now, when I say discover God, does not mean that you discover God and there's nothing else. God is in everything. The term God loves, God blesses, God gives life, you can substitute that with God is because his essence is in everything that he does. So when you say God loves, it means that God is love. When you say God gives life, it means that God is life. God is in everything. Discovering God is our ability to discover God in everything that we see and not see. When we looked out there in the cosmos, bewildered, like right now, the whole theory of the black hole and, and dark matter is turned upside down because they discovered something they didn't know before. Do you see God in that? Now, if the person who discovered God in that, that is joy, that is happiness. Spiritual success, what is that? Spiritual success is when the work that you and I, we do, becomes successful. Ezekiel 36, verse 27. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and you will keep my judgment and do them. The key word here is I will put my spirit in you and then you will keep my statue and you will do them. When we engage in the work of God, He puts His Spirit in us. When His Spirit works through us, the Apostle Paul says, all things work together for the good of those who love God. So when the Spirit of God is in us, everything you, you and I, we do in God will be a success. The work of the Holy Spirit is everlasting. The third person in the Trinity working in you and through you, your work will be successful. What I do here today, I know it is successful because the Holy Spirit is working through me. When Jesus went up on the cross, people thought, hey, he failed. If you are the Christ, get yourself down from the cross. He didn't. And people thought, it's too loud. He died. It's over. Wasn't? 2,000 years later, what is it now? 2.3, 2.4 billion people know Christ. This simple man of sorrow from Galilee, from Nazareth. Have anyone been to Nazareth? Do you know Christ? 
there was no work that's been more successful than the death of Christ on the cross. The Holy Spirit made it successful. Lastly, useful. This is my favorite part. Being useful. You notice the kids in the church, when you ask them to do something, they want to do it. The reason is they feel that they are contributing to something that is important, especially when the adult is asking them. And it's not just children. When you go to work and your big boss came down and said, hey, I got this one project. Would you like to do it? I'm all in. You want to feel and you want to be useful. That is what makes us happy. Think about this this way. When God himself comes and say, I want to use you to do this. That work will make you brimming with joy because the first person in the Trinity comes and says, I want to use you. I want to use your life. Think about the joy that you will experience when he comes and said, I want to use you. Worthlessness is when you're at the bottom of misery. But the sense of knowing your worthiness in the scheme and the scope of the kingdom of God is what happiness is. The inspiration that propels us to overcome hardships and challenges, you will get up early. You know, if you have an important work to do, you will get up early. You don't even have to set an alarm. You have to catch a flight out, and that's the only flight. Otherwise, you're going to miss the whole opportunity, and it flies out at 5 in the morning. 3 o'clock, you're already up. You can't sleep. The anticipation, it just drives you nuts. Your body starts to itch all over, and you keep on scratching. You can't, you can't sleep. The joy, knowing that you need to make that flight because your work is important. It gets you up. The reason why we can't get up because there's nothing worth for us to do. There's no joy. So we waste our life away, just pining away and cause ourselves to deteriorate on our bed. Not only your existence matter, but it is eternally necessary will cause you to get up and start doing something with your life. In God's plan of salvation, Change yourself for the service of Christ. If God is saying that I'm going to use you, the first thing you would do is you need to say, what do I need to get rid of? My boss comes and said, hey, I have this one thing. Would you like to do? The first thing, I have these things I'm doing right now. Which one of these things you want me to get rid of now so that I can do that thing? Because I want to do that thing, but I need to get rid of these things. Which one? Tell me which one you want me to get rid of. Because... I'd rather get rid of everything so I can devote my entire focus to that work. If God comes and said, hey, I want to use you for my kingdom, then the first thing you would say, here's my list of things, which one you want me to get rid of? You would change your life. You begin to have a different perspective on life. You abandon your plans for God's will. I usually wake up at 11 o'clock, but now God has given me a new job, I'm going to get up at five. You will change your life because it's important to you. If it's not, then you continue to sleep until 11. You live in such a way that you will accomplish what God has given to you. And what has God given to us to do? Have his life flow through us. Now, <clears throat> think about it. Can the life of God flow through you 
Ask your current condition right now. The way that you live right now. Does the life of God flowing through you? Does eternal life flowing through you right now? Or we just don't have enough time for the life of God to flow through us. We're so busy. We don't even get up until it's late in the day. We don't even interact with anyone. How can the life of God flow to us? We need to make some changes. And most importantly, we got to make some sacrifices to change our lives so that God can begin to flow His work through us. When the apostle was in the greatest danger of his life, he said, I think myself happy, O King Agrippa. You look at Paul, he's bound up, he's chained, he's been in prison for two years. No one knows when his release is at. And then they brought him in front of King Agrippa and said, Hey, King Agrippa, I count myself happy. Why? Because I get to share Christ with you today. Think about this man. He got an opportunity to share Christ with someone. He said, I count myself happy because now I have a chance to share Christ with you. Do you and I, do we have this joy? God has prepared me for this time that I can be before you and share Christ with you, even though King Agrippa and also Felix didn't accept Christ. But he was happy. It is not the outcome. You never know the outcome. The outcome of everything that you do. The Apostle Paul appeared before King Agrippa, changed the course of human history. The Christian church was changed because of that event. So, don't think that was a failure. That was not a failure. Like I said, the Holy Spirit worked through us. Nothing we do will fail. Everything will come and be fruitful in God's time. Think about Joseph. Get thrown to the pit, thrown in prison, falsely accused. My brothers, God has made all that to prepare a place for you for this time. All good. It's all good. All those things that you experience in your life, God will bring it to pass and it will become fruitful and you will look back. If not now, and when in that cloud of witness, when you look back and say, yeah, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. If you're all asleep right now, I'm speaking the word of God. It's all worth it. It makes me happy. The Son of God delivered to Pontius Pilate. Determinate counsel of the poor knowledge of God. Yes, to be crucified, to die on the cross. Everyone thought that he was dead. And then what? That's not how it happened. In the eternity the scheme of things, the death of Jesus Christ was triumphant. And they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing, talking about the apostle. They were beat up after they preached Christ, departed from the presence of the council that just beat them, rejoicing they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Acts chapter 5 verse 41. They were happy. They were joyous after being beat up because of the name of Christ. The apostle Paul put it this way, I count myself blessed to be counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. I dare to hope that one day I will have that same passion like the Apostle Paul. Do we care? Or do you care? The greatest act of God's mercy was shown through Christ's suffering. It is in all suffering that shows the glorious, most beautiful image of Christ. It's in His suffering, the ultimate happiness of life is to be counted worthy to suffer shame in the name of Jesus.